WHYY and Billy Penn. It is hitting season. Hey there, podcast pals. I'm John Stolnes from The Good Fight and Billy Penn. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolnes. Coming up, I'm going to talk with good friend of the podcast, Mike Farron from MLB Network Radio. We're going to talk about the hot stove, what the Phillies have done so far, what they might do over the next few weeks or so, and we'll get the latest news, notes, rumors from him, what he's been hearing as he's on the air every day on Sirius XM Satellite Radio, uh, talking to baseball insiders and experts on everything going on with free agency and trades and everything. So no better person to talk to as we wait for the Phillies to maybe do something at some point here over the next couple of weeks. But as we've been talking about, not really a a need for the Phillies to make a big splash. But of course, it's it's Dave Dombrowski. So we'll see how things go over the next few weeks. Uh, But uh, also uh, an interesting rumor came down the pike uh, after my conversation with Mike Farron, which I'll get to after we are done our discussion. But just a quick reminder to check out the landing page for the Hit and Season podcast over with our partners, Billy Penn, our fantastic partners, our fantastic online partners. They do a great job uh, supporting the podcast. And of course, that's where we uh, put all of our blog posts that go along uh, with these podcasts. You can find them over at billypenn.com slash hit and season. And just, you know, while you're there, check out the rest of Billy Penn. If you're not a regular visitor of the website, that should be a daily stop for you for everything uh, Philadelphia related. Uh, also, you can check out... Uh, wrote an article this week for The Good Fight, uh, and uh, it's about uh, Philly's pitching staff. Fangraphs, actually, with their metrics, the Phillies had the number one pitching staff in baseball last year. Did you know that? And they're returning largely the same pitching staff in 2024. Something to think about, something to check out. Go check out thegoodfight.com for all of our Phillies content there as well. Well, I know the, the hot stove hasn't really been all that hot for Phillies fans since Saranola signed his contract, but we have to remember that was a really big signing, and that if somebody else signed him, we would have certainly felt the loss. So uh, as Phil's fans, I'm, I'm still trying to I'm tr- trying to help us hang on here and, and, and realize that this offseason is not necessarily going to be the big splash offseason that we're used to. But there's still a lot going on around Major League Baseball, and a lot of it will affect the Phillies and the landscape for 2024. And joining me to talk about that is good friend of the podcast, Mike Farron. Of course, you know him from ML- MLB Network Radio. Of course, you follow him on the Twitter machine at Mike underscore Farron. Mike, welcome back to hitting season again how are you buddy uh, it's been a while john and it's great to be back with you <laughs> it has been a while and it's it's always great to have you on and and share your knowledge with us because i mean very few people know what's going on around major league baseball like you do and covering it every day um it's just it's been kind of crazy and i the, the thing i wanted to get your your thought on first is this deal that shohei otani signed with the with the dodgers because for sitting here looking at it as someone who's who's you know never seen a contract like this before none of us have ever seen a contract like that before there's a part of me that also almost doesn't feel like it's fair what the dodgers were were allowed to do here but of course if there's nothing in place that says you you can't pay a player this way then more power to them more power to Shohei, more power to the dodgers and so i wanted to get what's your take on on the otani signing what it means for the dodgers on the field but really i think the more fascinating part is the the contract and the structure and and how it's going to allow the dodgers to do different things yeah i mean i think it's because he's deferring so much money it's like 97 percent of the salary um that's where things are a little bit different than other deferrals that we've seen i mean this is this is essentially um what any team can do when they're deferring contract money in contracts is that gives them the chance to to reduce the competitive balance tax hit to what the present day value of the deal is so that's why the dodgers are 
Um, you know, they, they still have to pay him $70 million essentially a year. That's just that, that most of that money will come uh, actually after the contract is over. $680 million of it will come after the contract is over. But the present day value of that deal is $460 million and change. And so that's what you get hit for in the CBT. And for players, it gives them flexibility, right? I mean, this is mm-hmm. a free market, right? So, yeah. um, you know, it's funny to me that that a lot of times you feel like the players are the ones who want to live more in a free market economy than a lot of the owners do. <laughs> but, but he, I mean, that's the the case for them is that it gives them flexibility to be able to, um, you know, try and ensure that their team is spending, which is a positive for the players and the players association. It gives them flexibility on how they want to build their deals to be able to, to if they want to you know, be able to take the money down the road. There's undoubtedly some tax incentives for it, depending on where you live. I think it might be a little different with Otani, um, who is you know a resident in, in in Japan, and the tax right there probably is not um, the same as what we have in the U.S. and in in each of the the states. So you know, I don't know if he's going to all of a sudden establish residency in a, a state that has zero yeah. income tax when he's done playing. It very well could be that that he's playing paying some level of a Japanese income tax rate or whatever. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't know. I'm not a. I'm not an accountant. I'm, right. I'm not even going to play one on the radio. <laughs> right. So, so I think it's just. I think it's because we heard what the number was, and because the, how so much of the money is being deferred, people really reacted strongly to it. But when you start to read like Ken Rosenthal's piece today, which was, you know, essentially like everybody in baseball was like, yeah, that's totally cool and most of the agents were like yeah that's totally cool there was only one person who really had a negative reaction to it i felt like mm-hmm. um you know it's just that that's the nature of contracts when they're collectively bargained and this is yeah. something that the players have wanted to keep in despite the fact that at times the league is asked to push for it to be out and i think once we get past i don't know this week that it's probably not something we'll ever think about again yeah it, probably not i mean it's when you're putting a team together obviously the luxury tax is a is something that you you have to be aware of and even for a team like the Dodgers they're they're not a team that wants to go over that second or third tax year after year after year after year because the penalties really do become draconian so it certainly makes sense yeah, that but you're only penalized on the overages on the dollars that are over and it's the dollars that are over the whole threshold you're not penalized on your full um, payroll. So even if you go, you know, over what's the top threshold now, like 295 million, right? Whatever that 90% is, if you spent 296 million, well, then you're paying an extra $900,000 on it, right? Like, and at that point in for a penny in for a pound, I really don't think, I think we spend way more time making a big deal about the luxury tax numbers, probably to the benefit of owners than we really need to. Like you're investing in your team and giving them a chance to win. And they're not going to do anything that's thoroughly out of line with what their revenues or the value of their franchise yeah. is. And, and trust me, I'm not looking to give the owners an out here. I want owners to spend as much money on their on their teams as, as humanly possible. I was kind of more thinking of like the international bonus money, draft pick losses, that kind of thing, that they're really trying to make sure that they don't allow teams to, to spend too much. Yeah. Um, I but, mean, it's the, that, that only has, I mean, that has so much impact, right? Because if right. you're going to add um, if you're going to add 
players that give you a chance to win, then yeah. I mean that's it's affecting your organizational depth. I really right. think that in the end we spend probably way too much time focusing on these things that are clearly not not impacting mm-hmm. wins and losses on the field. So so looking around the the National League here, the Dodgers and Braves came into the offseason clearly as the top two teams in the league. And based on what we've seen so far, you really there, there's nothing to dissuade you to think that those two teams aren't still the top two teams in the National League. And as you're looking around the rest of the National League, we've seen mostly teams that were competitive or, or we, that had been competitive the last couple of years, maybe even pulling back a little bit. We're seeing the, the Padres with the trade of Juan Soto. They're going to, that's a big piece out of their lineup that they're missing. And who, who knows, there could be some other moves that, that come if they're not going to be competing as hard this year, although they still have a pretty strong team even without Juan Soto. But the Milwaukee Brewers um, are, are looking, could possibly trade one of their top starting pitchers and are going to be without one of their other starting pitchers due to injury. So the Brewers as a threat may not be there quite as much. And there's just, there's a few other teams in the National League that seem as though, seems like they're pulling back. The Cubs are losing some players. They may keep Bellinger. They may re-sign him. They might add some other pieces. But right now, when you look at the National League and you see the Phillies kind of sitting there, do you see them as, say, like, number three and it seems to me there's kind of a gap between the top two teams and then the Phillies and then the rest of the National League after the Phillies yeah I mean that's a good question I mean I I think the Phillies are pretty darn good I mean I think that's a I think that's the biggest thing I think if you were to line them up by just projected war I think they're the third best um you know the Cardinals still rate fairly highly because of their offensive group too and they're probably I, I feel better about where the Phillies are starting pitching-wise than I do about the Cardinals, even with them being active um, in adding Gray and Lynn and Gibson this winter. You know, Sonny Gray and Lance Lynn, Kyle Gibson all ending up in in St. Louis. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think they're one of the favorites in the National League. I mean, just like they were last year. You know, they, um, they play in a division with the best team in Atlanta, and so that makes it difficult to win the division. It doesn't mean they can't. They probably have had a couple of balls bounce the not exactly their way through the first parts of seasons the last two years that could could have helped. But the Phillies are a pretty complete team as it stands. They have a lot of talent. They, you're, you're, I mean, just from a position player standpoint, I think really outside of maybe center field, you've got average or better production at all of those positions, at least offensively. I know Castellanos isn't a great defender. Um, and they have, you know, I think, really five average or better starting pitchers on their roster right now. Mm-hmm. And they have really strong re- relief help. Um, and if anything, that's probably a spot where they would still look to add. But it's a weird winter in that, like, we're used to Dave Dombrowski going after the big fish. And Aaron Nola certainly was a big fish. It's just it's different because they retained him. Yeah, But they just don't have that many glaring needs they're in a pretty good position overall and should be right in the mix, not just for um, a playoff berth, but winning the National League pennant again. So you mentioned relief pitcher. As far as I can tell, this, this team really has has three needs. They, I think they still need another 
corner outfield bat. Um, they still need, uh, like you said, a, a relief pitcher to replace the innings that Craig Kimbrell gave you last year. And I think they probably just need to add another starting pitching for depth. And that that might be some some minor league invites to some veterans as you get closer to, to January and February, but not necessarily something like a Seth Lugo, like who signed with the Royals this uh, this this week. You're not you've got a good starting five, but you want to you want to get some depth pieces in there. So um, that can that can wait a little bit. As far as relief pitcher, I keep seeing Josh Hader's name connected to the Phillies quite a bit. And that we, we've talked about on this podcast a lot how I don't know that that makes sense given how the Phillies like to use their relievers interchangeably. Uh, he's certainly a great talent. Uh, adding him to the Phillies bullpen would certainly give them one of the best, if not the best, bullpen in, in the National League. Understanding, of course, bullpens are volatile from year to year. Do you see them in the in the hater sweepstakes? And if not, why do you think the Phillies keep getting connected to him? Well, I mean, I think they keep getting connected to him because they have a uh, president of baseball operations who has made a history of acquiring star players. And Hader certainly would make that bullpen better. Now, one of the reasons why the Phillies have deployed their bullpen this way is that they have not had a, a really set closer. I mean, in the first half of last year, Kimbrell was basically their closer, you know, so I don't think that that's an issue. I also think some of the one-inning stuff with Hader has a chance to be overblown. You know, that came about in part because of an arbitration loss with the Brewers. And he basically was like, well, if you're going to if you're going to try and use the save totals against me, um, you know, when I'm going multiple innings at a time in arbitration, then I'm only going to be available for that. Once he signs a free agent contract, I think some of that will back off just a little bit. Mm. Um, I I would not be surprised, at least, if it backed off. I, I can't guarantee that it wouldn't. But I think that that knowing that that's where it came from. I think there's a chance that it's a little different. He definitely would make any bullpen better. So I think you adjust if you're able to add someone like that, but it just doesn't like they keep getting linked to Hater in the same way that the Rangers keep getting linked to Hater, which is that nobody has really found a spot yet that makes the most sense for Josh Hader, especially looking for a deal that will likely rival Edwin Diaz's contract last year, which was, what, five years, $102 million. Mm-hmm. You know, you're talking about an elite-level reliever who, with the exception of about a two-month stretch in 2022, has been unbelievably consistent in terms of, of getting good results. And I think there's there's just – it's just tough trying to find the fit with a big market team that's willing to spend that money on Hader – um, and so the Phillies get put into it because they have they, they could use him for sure to make their bullpen better, and they tend to have deep pockets. So I think that's probably where it comes from more than anything. I haven't seen anything as of yet that leads me to believe that. But as the winter goes on, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if John Middleton finds a, a couple more dollars in the couch cushion, um, and you know if. If all of a sudden they get to January and Hader's still on the market and they're like, you know what, we've got a chance to be able to add this impact player. I mean, it's one of the things about John Middleton is we know that he's willing to invest in his team, right? I mean, yeah. From the stupid money comment on, from when he said, <laughs> we're going to spend stupid money, he spent stupid money. I mean, he's built a really good team. But I think in terms of like what you talked about, yeah, they could use depth. I, I think a right-handed hitting reserve outfielder makes sense for them because I think – like Marsh is going to play left and Rojas is going to play center. And I guess you need to have a little bit of insurance in case Rojas really struggles mightily on the offensive side, um, which could happen. Mm-hmm. But 
just somebody who can be kind of a role player there fits. And then I would add, actually, that the, I think their biggest priority this winter is extending Zach Wheeler. Like, yes. that's going to be the number one thing that they have to be focused on. And I'll be curious to see, you know, once we get closer to spring training, how those discussions ramp up. Because I can't see them letting him go, much like they, they didn't let Aaron Nola go. Yeah, I know. This team's going to have a bunch of guys in their 30s uh, as the years go on here. But they're all still so impactful. And this window is is right now. They, they really do have to do that. As a 34-year-old starter who is become a legendary postseason performer really in just two seasons with the Phillies, but has just been so consistent as that ace atop the the rotation. What kind of what kind of contract extension do you think he could be in line for? I don't know. I would think that it's probably a pretty good one. <laughs> you know, I mean, this has been what this is now gonna be the the last year of what, a hundred and eighteen million dollar deal. I would think that based on the way he's pitched, you're looking at somebody that's going to make in the, you know, 33 to $34 million range. Um, you know, he's going to pitch next year at 34, so that limits it some. But I would think if you're looking at a three-year extension that's, you know, north of $100 million, maybe with an option for a fourth, um, that probably gets you into the conversation, right? So mm-hmm. I don't know if you say, what did he make, 118 over – five in the in this one so like let's say i don't know 105 over three or 125 over four Mm. that's probably about where you're looking i mean i would i would guess that it's going to be north of 30 million dollars a year and maybe closer to 35 in the end yeah, every Phillies fan would sign on for that, for sure. Um, talking to Mike Farron, of course, from MLB Network Radio, host of Power Alley. Mike, it's Yoshi, this uh, Japanese uh, phenom that uh, that so much of the league is, is trying to get their hands on here, Yoshinobu Yamamoto. Where is he going to end up? Um, I mean, I think the the... Like the Yankees, the Mets, and the Dodgers seem to be the most likely suitors at this point. I mean, Boston is involved, San Francisco's involved. We've heard some rumors that um that the Cubs and the Jays might be involved to probably to a lesser degree. I think he kind of is the Mets offseason. I mean, they're taking a little bit different approach, and they have desperate needs for starting pitching uh behind Kodai Senga. They, remember, went a little bit older with the Scherzer and Verlander deals the last uh, couple of years and then traded both of those guys, um, you know, to, and got out from some of the money. But they really need quality starters. And Yamamoto, who's won the, the Japanese version of the Cy Young Award, the Sawamura Award, three consecutive years, would seem to be that. He's 25 years old. He's a little bit undersized, but he's got plenty of good stuff. He knows how to pitch. Um, and so I think there's a, a – like that, to me, probably if I were handicapping right now, I would say that they are the team that is definitely going to make the biggest offer for him. Now, you know, maybe he, the allure of Yankee pinstripes draws him in. Maybe being on the West Coast and playing with Otani draws him in with the Dodgers. You know, maybe the Giants step up. I mean, certainly they were willing to offer – Similar to what, um, you know, what the Dodgers did for Otani, or basically the same thing for Otani, and Otani had a preference to go to L.A. Um, you know, they could maybe get involved in that at a higher level. But to me, the Mets are the team that is the most. I hesitate to use the word desperate, but then when you look at their rotation, it's like they really need Yamamoto if they want to be competitive this year, and he can be a building block for them over the next several. 
Which team around Major League Baseball needs to make a splash the most this offseason? Is is it the Mets based on what happened last year? Or is it somebody like the Giants who are just kind of uh, out in the ether a little bit needing to make an impact in, in the National League West? I mean, the Dodgers look like they've got a stranglehold in that division. But it's the Diamondbacks that went to the World Series last year. So, so the Dodgers are maybe acting like they're the ones that needed to make the splashes. And they, they're in the middle of doing that. Well, I think the Giants are definitely one of those teams that would be at the forefront. I mean, they have they have not been able to really dock the boat when it's come to adding impact offensive talent. Now, you know, Jung-Hoo Lee, who's the top Korean uh, player that was on the free agent market, has reportedly agreed to terms with them on a six-year deal. Lee probably isn't going to be much of a power hitter. He's more a top-of-the-lineup type player. Um, and so they still could use impact there. I think the Cubs are another team that, you know, they need impact on the offensive side. I don't know that they're necessarily in the mix for Cody Bellinger. Early this winter, it didn't seem like they were. Maybe they circle back around after, you know, not being at, at there at the end for Otani. And, um, you know, they have they really have to add some consistent offense. And Bellinger was very good for them last year. But, you know, I think that's actually a good landing spot for like Reese Hoskins to be able to bounce mm-hmm. back on a one-year deal with the Cubs. I think that would be a really good fit. But there's a little bit of pressure on them to try and push this over the finish line. Remember, they they outscored their opponents by a wide margin and missed the playoffs with a really rough last three-week stretch, and they just spent all this money on Craig Council as their new manager. So there's pressure there. And there is huge pressure in Toronto to make a splash. They did a great job fixing their defense last winter, but the offense was really inconsistent. And now they need to find a way to improve that offense to to help augment a win-now pitching staff. Plus, you're getting towards the end of contracts with both their team president and their general manager. There is a lot of pressure on them. They This group is 0-6 in the postseason. And I know the postseason, you experience this as a Phillies fan, can be uh, open to a bit more randomness, right? The best yeah. team doesn't always win each playoff series. The best team on paper doesn't. It's the team that plays the best over the course of those games that does. But that's a team that desperately needs to add impact offense. That I think is the best pit, fit for Bellinger personally, mm-hmm. because he can give them he gives them a, a really dynamic presence. And they might need to look to move some pieces around, I think, to find a bit more offensive consistency. So, you know, I, I'd be curious to know if they would be willing to listen on on Vlad Guerrero Jr., who you know has two years left to f- before free agency. I don't see them moving Bo Bichette. I thought those rumors were kind of mm-hmm. ridiculous when they came up, you know, a month ago. But I wonder if they'd be willing to listen on Guerrero. And if that's the case, then, uh, you know, how do you replace that offense? Um, and also, what do you do to, to improve your team by making a move? I think that's a possibility. I think that's a. I think it's probably got about a two percent chance of happening. But I think of the players that they have that are under contract, he would seem to be the one that would be most likely to be moved. I just think the, most of what they're going to do is going to come via free agency. All right. So last thing for you here, Mike, um, Dave Dombrowski and the Phillies. Do you? What are the chances you think they make a big splash at some point here during the course uh, of this offseason? I think it's yeah. going to be pretty quiet. I mean, they are they are really, really um, balanced. They are pretty deep. I think it's more moves around the edges of the roster, which, again, mm-hmm. seems weird for a Dombrowski team, but that's basically what they need to do. But to your point earlier, right-handed hitting, 
outfielder who can play on the corners, like probably checks a lot of the boxes um, just as kind of a reserve, um, getting somebody who can help give them a little bit more bullpen depth, um, and then maybe, you know, starters that they can stash in AAA. That, to me, is where they're at right now. And, you know, I know that they have at least had some discussions on Yamamoto. I just don't see that as necessarily mm-hmm. the fit for them. I think there are going to be teams that are willing to spend more on him in the end. But I think the odds are overwhelming. It's relatively quiet. Now, I say that, and we felt like that that way about 10 years ago in Detroit, too. And then Victor Martinez blew out his knee in a treadmill accident, and they went out and signed Prince Fielder. So Dave <laughs> Dombrowski has the ability to shift – um, and let's see how the market plays out too, yeah. right? Because if, like I said, if we get to you know January and there's not much of a Josh Hader market, I can see the Phillies being a market for him then. But I mean, there's plenty of other there. There are plenty of other options that probably make more sense to just make this team deeper. They're good. They're yeah. really good. And I I really appreciate having covered them in the last two league championship series and in the World Series in 22. How much. Phillies fans have embraced this team and love this team. I know last year was disappointing in losing game six and seven at home, but and this is as fu- this is a team that seems to embrace the city as much as the city has embraced the team, mm-hmm. and it makes it really fun, and it has made Citizens Bank Park the best environment in baseball as yeah. far as I'm concerned. I've been watching Phillies baseball every day since 1985, and and these two teams, especially the one last year, are the even going with 1993. I, I don't I don't think there's been any two teams more beloved than than the ones we've had these last couple of years. And it was a cry. I think that's one of the reasons why it was it was so disappointing because it just felt inevitable that that they were going to win one of those last two games at home, and it was just a such a shock to the system that they didn't. And there's a lot of fans who are really, you know, they're a little bit apprehensive about running it back with the team that came up short. But I, I keep telling people, you know, there's so many times teams, they just, they get a bunch of cracks at it and they, they fall a little bit short and then they finally break through. Like what the Phillies are going to try to do this year is really, really hard. No team has ever lost a World Series, lost an NLCS, and then won the World Series that third year since the Cardinals did it in 4 But it, it it is possible. And so yeah. it's just, you, you, the pieces are there, you know, and sh- could you go out and, and get Cody Bellinger and stick him in left field? You, you could. That doesn't necessarily mean... It guarantees you winning game six or seven at home of an NLCS where you lead three games to two. Like, it's just, right. there's no magic bullet. I think that's the biggest thing is that the postseason is, um, I hate to say it this way, but it is a crapshoot in a lot of respects. I mean, you see it over the course of the season, right? You get frustrated when you have a really good team and they, you know, lose a series or get swept by uh, a team that's on the way to 100 losses, right? Well, you're basically playing those series for an entire month. And so the best team on paper does not always win. In fact, in baseball, it seems to happen less than any other sport. There was a good study that I think Ben Baumer was part of, who is, I believe, part of the Mets front office now in in R&D, that said for baseball to have the postseason, um, the favorites win at the same percentage that they do in the NBA, which is about 80%, um, baseball would have to make every series a best of 75. So, like, I think <laughs> yeah. th- there's two lessons in it, right? Enjoy the hell out of the regular season, especially if it's a good one, because there's mm-hmm. nothing quite like a, a, a winning baseball season. And just because you don't win the postseason doesn't mean that the season is a massive disappointment yes. for your fan. Yes. Enjoy the fact that you've been entertained. You can be disappointed that they didn't finish, but it doesn't necessarily speak to their toughness or their mm-hmm. ability to execute or any of that 
Um, and which is really unfulfilling, right? Like it yeah. sucks because to just think that, you know, that's baseball is the answer, but it's kind of the answer. Yeah. And I, we were saying that I, I was saying that in the kind of the, the days we, leading after the NLCS, like baseball, if, if sports, if the only acceptable outcome from a sporting season is a parade, you're going to go through life. So like sports should be about moments, creating moments you're going to remember. You can rewatch on YouTube. I mean, we look at the 22 team, the Harper home run in the NLCS. They didn't win the World Series. I don't think many people really care about that. I mean, like this, they showed you these last two years, kind of that they're a championship caliber team. They didn't win the championship, but so many moments to hold on to uh from from that run just really has made it fun to be a baseball fan in philadelphia not a lot of fun on the hot stove because you're not doing a whole lot but that can be a good thing ask the atlanta braves they haven't been all that active either and, and nobody's screaming down in atlanta so well i mean atlanta made like 50 different moves to acquire <laughs> what to like two players right that's so right. like they had that was some real galaxy brain stuff going up I, I mean they got jared kelnick and they got david fletcher who i think are both gonna help them but yeah, yeah that's a yeah it was a little different with them right it's a lot of moves to make just a couple of incremental improvements and move some uh, move some money around. Exactly. Well, everybody, make sure you're listening to Power Alley on MLB Network Radio. It's their midday show. You make sure you catch that. And, of course, follow Mike on Twitter at Mike underscore Ferrin. Mike, thank you, as always, for coming back on Hitting Season. It was good to talk to you. I really appreciate it. Uh, my pleasure, John. Happy holidays. You too. All right. Well, one last thing to mention uh, before we get out of here, and uh, this came down after I finished my conversation with Mike Farron here on Wednesday night. John Heyman reporting that the Phillies are still one of the seven teams in on the Yoshinobu Yamamoto talks, along with the Red Sox, Blue Jays, Dodgers, Giants, Mets, and the Yankees. Now, we heard the Phillies were checking in on Yamamoto that uh, that uh, the signing of Aaron Nola right after the signing of Aaron Nola that uh, that they were still in on him which was very interesting we've talked about that on the podcast a number of times before uh, the timing of that and and the fact that they went out of their way to mention that we thought was pretty interesting uh, John Heyman now confirming that as Yamamoto is going and meeting some different teams traveling to some different cities to meet with organizations uh, that the the Phillies are still one of the seven teams still in on the talks and I'm not aware as we are recording this podcast here late on Wednesday night of a visit to Philadelphia planned for Yamamoto uh, but Heyman also does report that Yamamoto has not talked money with any of the clubs, which I think is very interesting. Sounds like, and this is kind of the direction Heyman was going in, is that he's looking at the, a, a situation as much as he is money. Now, money's going to talk, right? I mean, if it's a big difference between one team and another team, the team that offers him the more money is most likely going to get him. Most free agents sign for the most dollars, but not every time. And everybody is different. This guy is going to sign a huge mega contract no matter where he goes. And so he wants to land in the best spot possible. Heyman also says it's likely that Yamamoto will get the longest pitching contract ever. Garrett Cole has a nine, got a nine-year deal a couple of years ago. Could Yamamoto get a decade-long contract? He's only 25, so if you think that's crazy, he's a young, top-of-the-rotation starting pitcher. A 25-year-old, top-of-the-rotation starting pitcher never comes along in baseball. You never get guys this young at the top of a rotation with this kind of talent. So if there's any pitcher that's going to get a 10-year deal, it is probably this guy. And we know the Phillies like to sign guys 
to long-term contracts to spread out the AAV. And who knows if the Shohei Otani deal is kind of a blueprint for how other teams will start to put some contracts together to defer money, to lower the AAV. We know that John Middleton wants to lower the AAV. He doesn't mind long contracts. He doesn't mind large numbers. If it means he can spread it out and keep the AAV down so they can continue to add pieces to teams as they go on year by year. That's that's why Bryce Harper's contract has been so beneficial. It's allowed them to go out and continue to add pieces after signing him. So I still think the Phillies and most insiders believe that the Yankees are the favorites to, to land Yamamoto. They have more of a motivation. They have more of a need for him than the Phillies do, if we're being perfectly honest about it. They do have more money than the Phillies to to throw around, and the Yankees have a history of signing Japanese pitchers. The Phillies really just don't have a history of landing a guy like this. That being said, it would be very interesting if he visits Philadelphia, would it not? I, I, I I would be surprised if that happens, but I must tell you, I am surprised that the Phillies are still in on Yamamoto. If the bidding gets to around $300 million, $320 million, I just don't know how the Phillies can swing that uh, if they still want to sign Zach Wheeler to a contract extension this offseason. My guess is they would probably try to move Taiwan Walker. I don't think they would want to move Ranger Suarez, but Suarez is only under team control for another two years. He's probably looking at a contract extension if the Phillies want to extend him. So if they sign Yamamoto, is that an opportunity to trade a guy in Ranger Suarez who has two years of control, who can give you something back really, really good? I wouldn't want to do that. I don't think the Phillies would want to do that, but I also don't think the Phillies would want to trade Christopher Sanchez, who's under team control for another five years after starting in, in 2024. If they sign Yamamoto, they are one pitcher heavy. And maybe Sanchez starts in AAA or they go with a six-man rotation. Who knows what? Who knows how the Phillies would handle it? That's a problem that you'd like to have. You'd figure that out along the way a little bit, right? I mean, so it's interesting that John Heyman mentions the Phillies. Now, we talked with Liz and I talked on the last podcast too. Whenever you hear information like this, it's usually being given to a reporter by an agent. Is this Yamamoto's agent? trying to make it feel like there are more suitors out there so that the teams who are really serious about signing Yamamoto believe that his client has a, has a number of different potential landing spots like Philadelphia, like Toronto, like Boston, when it seems pretty clear that the Yankees are the leaders in the clubhouse. But we did hear that the Mets are definitely more involved than anybody thinks. Uh, the Giants, Ken Rosenthal had something interesting about the Giants and that in that a lot of prospective free agents are wary of San Francisco as a city, wary of going to play and live in San Francisco as a city, which has never been the case up until recently. And we know the city of San Francisco has had a number of problems with crime, but, you know, get in line. A number of, of American cities are going through that same thing right now. So uh, it just Yamamoto sweepstakes. I had just kind of discounted the Phillies in my brain, but it sounds as though they are at least still in the mix. They are still in on him, as John Heyman reports, and that is uh, that is interesting, and we'll see if anything comes to light. It sounds as though the Yamamoto discussions are starting to ramp up, and that maybe a decision will be coming sometime in the next few days and weeks, but Bob Nightingale of USA Today also does say the Yankees are the favorites to land him, which they obviously should be. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for this edition of Hit and Season. My thanks once again to Mike Farron for joining me here on the podcast, and uh, we'll have another Hit and Season coming your way later this week. Again, 
again, check out our billypen.com slash Hidden Season landing page. And I also would love to direct you over to the Hidden Season Patreon, where we have bonus podcasts over there. For for those of you who'd like to help us out and, uh, and and give us like five bucks a month over at our Patreon, you can subscribe and get free, and get some extra bonus podcasts there as well. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time here on Hidden Season. Thank you.